While researching the early cinema of independent Pakistan, my preliminary conversations with journalists, collectors, and filmmakers were peppered with um, what seemed to be a rather cryptic word, charba. It meant, as I soon discovered, the process of copying and also the product, that is copies. Uh, since in Pakistan, charbas were copies of Indian films, a disparaging tone was marshaled to strongly dismiss a film or a filmmaker that participated in the charba routines. The ignominy of charbas is evident in the Pakistani Film Committee report of 1960, referring to the practice as the primrose path of plagiarism, and also in the paroxysms of collective indignation in the popular press. Yet the pervasiveness of the phenomena suggests that copying or remaking was a production strategy of consequence in post-partition Lahore, which while struggling with the impact of violence and dislocation of 1947, was being projected um, as the National Film Center of Pakistan. While the cultural elites were inclined to regard cinema as a medium for unencumbered and independent cultural expression of the new Muslim nation, the charbas, in contrast, created a purposeful entanglement, an obstinate enmeshing that ran contrary to um, hegemonic vision of a separate film culture. In this tension between new aspirations and old connections, one can locate the logic of Pakistani charbas. These cinematic repetitions allow an acting out and working through the historic strain of partition. And here I draw, draw on Dominic Lecapra's work, who, writing on the merits of continued historical investigation of the Holocaust, insists that acting out is at times necessary and unavoidable in the wake of trauma. Uh, <laughs> The repetition in acting out and working through then involves an uncanny excess, which allows mediated ways of surviving survival. Forces such as mourning itself, where grief is repeated in reduced, normatively controlled and socially supported form. Uh, so for representing history, Lecapra suggests the elaboration of a hybridized narrative that would conjoin trauma with the possibility of retrieval of the desirable aspects of the past that might be of some use in counteracting trauma's extreme effects and in rebuilding individual and social life. To see remakes as cinematic repetitions offering collective spaces of overcoming trauma hinges on the intimacy that partition shares with charvas. These films are talked by dislocation. And by this dislocation, I refer, I'm referring to film migration, division and movement of film publics, and territorial shifts that new boundaries bring in. Paralleling these different strands of dislocations, there are different modus operandi of charbas. So for instance, the most common approach for remaking was an expeditious copying of uh, post-partition Bombay films, which were running to packed houses in India, but were finding it difficult to cross the national borders. The Jal agitation of 1954 in Pakistan, uh, led by the producers and actors of Pakistani film industry, demanded a protectionist national film market and a quota system to regulate the inflow of Indian films, a move that ushered in an increasingly segmented film market in South Asia. Pakistani films, in any case, barely got across to the Indian side. And a lesser number of new Indian films in West Pakistan offered the opportunity to duplicate without any risk of audience 
of losing audiences. Uh, but remaking was also linked to the enduring popularity of the Orientalist, uh, Oriental fantasy films. And uh, Rosie Thomas's work has uh, examined uh, its life in post-partition India and even in Pakistan. These Oriental fantasies were extremely popular in the 1950s and 60s, which meant that a lot of silent era films were being remade in Pakistan and India at the same time. Uh, finally, an important impulse of remaking uh, was self-citation or a redo where migrant personnel repeated their pre-partition Bombay successes in post-partition Lahore. This could involve switches in language. For instance, a filmmaker would repeat his film in Punjabi, his earlier Hindi film in Punjabi, or switch uh, adapting to the changed national milieu. For instance, director S.M. Yusuf corrected the love triangle of his Bombay Saheli for Sharia law, clinching a merry polygamous arrangement in the Pakistani version. And finally, child actor Ratan Kumar elaborated his migrant stardom by acting in a number of charbas, including that of his prominent success, Jagriti. So I'm going to talk at length about Jagriti and its charba today. Uh, that's Ratan Kumar at the center. And he was the child star who began in Bombay, but then migrated to Lahore in 1956. So Jagriti uh, is set in a boy's residential school where a new boy, Ajay, arrives. He's sent away from his village as a disciplinary measure. At the school, he meets Shakti, Ratan Kumar, um, whose impaired leg and economically weak background makes him an easy target of school bullies. Both boys with exceptional capabilities form a deep friendship. Under Ajay's leadership, the students manage to oust the corrupt authoritarian warden of the school, and in comes the liberal teacher, Abhibhattacharya, with new, new ideas. However, still resistant to discipline and defiant of any authority, Ajay threatens to dismantle the new enlightened regime. And it takes Shakti, Ratan Kumar's tragic death to transform and awaken a willful Ajay. Now, themed around the pedagogical preparation of young sons of India as its future guardians, Jagrati emphasized a motivated vigilance regarding the nation's past and present to secure the freedom hard earned by the pictorial big men of uh, India's national movement. Um, and to continue drawing on Sumati Ramaswamy's work, the suffering and wronged mother India, a favorite representation in the late colonial period, is embodied in Shakti's mother in the film, whose inclusive yet equivocal maternality is central to making meaning in Jagriti. Ajay and Shakti personify the divided geographies. Played by Ratan, Shakti's incapacitated existence references the famous words of M.A. Jinha of a maimed, mutilated, and moth-eaten Pakistan and the accompanying doubts about its survival. Shakti's disability, accident, and death as a violent loss affecting transformation could well signify the partition of the subcontinent. So enacting the imperfection and death of the nation, which Ratan eventually migrated to, required a disavowal in the same affective currency as the one cobbled together by Jagriti. Ratan's performance in Jagriti may have bolstered the patriotic credentials of his star image in India, but in Pakistan, it boarded a political anathema. And this was the remake in Pakistan three years later on, Bedari. Um, and Bedari was therefore the child star's declaration of allegiance to Pakistan, which could only be constituted through a blow-by-blow -blow dismantling 
of all that he had done in Jagriti and what Jagriti had done to him. Retaliation was a way of managing the contradiction that was threatening to burst at the seams of Ratan's charisma. So in a renegade fashion, Bedari transforms a patriotic Indian film into a gift to the Pakistani nation. In its corrections, the charba reveals the erasures and selections of the original and appropriates the narrative of Jagriti in order to get back at it. The new context imposed obvious changes in, obvious changes in identity like names, clothes, and language, but most significantly in the pointed corrections of counteractive histories, song lyrics, and most outlandishly, the double roles of Ratan Kumar. So he plays both the roles, and he's not related. They're just friends who look alike. Um, and so it's also a mechanism of self-preservation. And through the double role, Bedari simultaneously punishes Ratan for his Indian act by killing off the disabled character and redeems him as the able-bodied Pakistani. It also offers the pleasure of a migrant star working through his changed nationality. But the cherry on Jagriti's patriotic cake was the most popular eulogy to Mahatma Gandhi, Sabarmati ke Sant, or Oh the Saint of Sabarmati. It was cast in the favorite song genre of the Mahatma, which was the bhajan, or the devotional song, and extolled the virtues of Mahatma's pacifist nationalist movement. So we'll quickly look at this clip. from Bedari, also starring Ratan Kumar. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to 
between close-up shots of Ratan and Gandhi's bust, imbuing Ratan with a Gandhian charisma. It irrevocably linked a teary-eyed Ratan Kumar with the father of the Indian nation. And nearly all songs from Jagriti were a staple for repeated television telecast in India, uh, right until the early 90s, each year on national days in India. Uh, the powerful hold of this Gandhian charisma could only be broken, countered, and remade by invoking the man with the most compelling charm in Pakistan, Muhammad Ali Jinnah. Qaeda-e-Azam, or supreme leader, replaced the saint of Sabarmati in the Bedari eulogy. And it, and it also replaces uh, Nehru with Liaquat Ali, Rabindranath Tagore with Muhammad Iqbal. So there are these constant replacements and parallels. But also the first song, as uh, you must have seen, is marked by a darshanic mode. And in Jagrati, the 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 visual is restricted to the indoor space of a prayer meeting, fixed on the beheld object and charged by the beholder's devotion. There are no diversions in this visually sealed space. In contrast, there is a clear discomfort in Bedari with the idolatrous aesthetics of the original eulogy. A visually guarded adulation of Jinha sees the bust replaced by a portrait and bleached out images of his tomb. I think these are images of his tomb which were still, which were still under construction. Um, it is no longer the relationship of the beholder beheld, but a distant and unfixed perspective. More striking is the generous use of newsreel stock footage um, in the song, breaking away from the indoor space and combining historic film footage of uh, General Weaver's radio announcement, a reference to the Shimla Conference of 1945, Jinnah inspecting army formations, the celebration of Pakistan's Independence Day, and military operations of the Pakistani army, suggesting the 1948 war with India over Kashmir. Significantly enough, Bedari challenged Jagriti where it truly hurt, that is, by making partition paramount. Insofar as Jagriti celebrated Gandhi's non-violent leadership of India's independence, this had been made possible only through a careful avoidance of partition. On the other hand, Bedari filled the visual space of its song with newsreel footage of refugee camps and migrating population, 
turning a representational constraint on its head by giving a colonial documentary form an Islamic spin, in which willingly leaving one's homeland for the sake of faith has a strong resonance. While the eulogy to Gandhi identifies colonialism as the enemy and extols the virtues of nonviolence, its counterpart in Bedari identified Gandhi as the enemy. You must have seen. So when it says Dushman, you see Gandhi there. Um, Counterpart in Bedari identifies Gandhi as the enemy by using the news, Indian news parade uh, film footage of the Gandhi Jinha Bombay negotiations of 1944 and flashes unidentified military operations ad nauseum, thus subverting the original order on several levels. Bedari's eulogy ultimately posed the question of what was more exceptional the independence of India or the attainment of Pakistan. While the partition footage besmirched any claims of a non-violent independence, Bidari's celebration of Khayat's boon further dented Jagrati's grandiose claim of exceptionality. Bidari was one of the eight commercial successes of Pakistan in 1957. Its pleasures and subsequent status as a patriotic film lies in elaborating a severance. As a cultural artifact of the partition, uh, of partition, the charba reinforces the evidentiary nature of cinema and constitutes the elaboration of what Le Capra calls a hybridized narrative, which was acting out and working through the nightmare of national disentangling. Thank you. <laughs>